Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. I do want to also reiterate how grateful we are to our first responders. Um, Sometimes we have first responders who need to be anonymous, and we understand that also, but we are grateful for you, and um, we don't take you for granted. Um, If you notice in the bulletin or whatever, I I called this message toxicity, and we were kind of in the planning stages, but sometimes when you start working with God's Word, it kind of goes in a little different direction where you thought. And we're not going to actually rename it, but if I, I were, I might call it something like Christ's norm and culture. You'll, you'll, see, you'll see as we go through it this morning. And, and that brings up a, a, a question. Have you ever thought about what makes something normal? I mean, we use the word all the time, but what is it? The dictionary says normal is the usual average or typical state or condition. Normal is, is essentially whatever you and I get used to. I mean, that's, that's really the normal. When, and when change comes into our life, whether it's a Harvey from a year ago, or marriage, or divorce, or having a child, or being diagnosed with cancer, we may end up with a new normal. Normal can be good. It can be a wonderful thing. But it obviously can also be bad. I've met folks and I'm sure you have too, who have gotten used to living in bad situations, and it has become for them normal. Ultimately, we need a standard to discern whether our normal is good or bad, and and that applies to us and to to culture. And the Israelites show us this in, in really a tragic way. As Moses prepared the Israelites to enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. In the book of Deuteronomy, he lays out God's rules and standards, what, what God says should be normal, the norm, if you will, for how his creations are to live and treat one another. And that norm was determined by God and, in fact, who God is, his holy, just, and loving character. And so as the Israelites followed Joshua into the promised land. They, they largely lived up to that norm and conquered cities and lands and, and found life working. But as you go through the, the Bible from Deuteronomy to Joshua, you come to the book of Judges. And in, the book of Judges opens with the death of Joshua, their, their leader. And we see the Israelites continuing with good intentions, but they struggle to trust God's commands without a strong leadership. And and we see them failing to drive out all the Canaanites out of the promised land and and their influences. The book of Judges then tells us that all the generation that had known and followed Joshua died out. And that's where I want us to begin this morning. If you have your, open your Bibles to Judges chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 10. And, and, going to focus mainly on, on that chapter, but we're really going to kind of look at the whole book, if you will, this morning. You can also use the YouVersion Bible app, and if you have neither of those, as always, we have in your bulletin an insert that you can take out and use to follow along with the Scripture and fill in some blanks. 
So in Judges chapter 2, beginning in the second half of verse 10, it says, There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. You see, Joshua had fully trusted in the Lord, and his leadership encouraged that in all of the people of Israel. That was the norm. That was their culture. That's what everybody expected. That was their lifestyle. But when Joshua and his generation passed on, the generation who came after them became enamored with the ways of the world around them, of the Canaanites and their religions and some of the things that they were doing, a world that encouraged blatant sexuality and self-seeking. And it seemed good to them. And because of a lack of leadership, they began to forget the old ways and began to live a new normal. And that leads to the next few verses and a chilling indictment. Beginning in verse 11, it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. These were gods of some of the other peoples. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them and sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. You see, as the Israelites forgot God's norm, if you will, as the older generation failed to impress upon the next generation the importance of trusting and following the Lord, and, and we made a big deal about that a couple, three weeks ago, and, and we talked about Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 7, and are we in to invest in the generations that come after us? What we see is that when that doesn't happen, the next generation increasingly turns from God to the gods and the idols of the culture around them. And the Bible says they did what was evil then in the sight of the Lord. And we need to realize that this wasn't like an instantaneous thing. It wasn't like overnight. We, we sometimes think when we read this, as we're going through Scripture, we read it in a sentence, we think it happened all of a sudden. But in reality, it was a gradual turning over years or even decades. But it was very real. And over those years and decades, people became used to new norms. The Bible says that as the Israelites did this, it provoked the Lord to anger. Now, when we hear that, when we read that, we got to remember that God's anger is not like our anger often is. That is, His anger is always just. It's always righteous. And, and it, it as he watches his beloved creations, the people and, and the world around us, not only ignoring his will, his good will for them, but even worse, disobeying him by chasing after other gods that were in fact no gods at all, these sins were only harming them, his beloved. And he hated what it was doing to them. Because he told them not to do this, and he warned them that there would be consequences if they chased after these other gods, if they, if they went after this. And, and it's not because he was simply trying to keep them to himself. It's because he created them. He knew what was best for them. He wanted what was best for them, and it hurt. It, it angered him to see them going in the wrong direction 
ignoring what he had taught. And so the Bible says he gave them over to plunderers and sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, allowing them to suffer the consequences of their choices. Much as, at least it was when, when my children were younger, it's good parents, we were told that when children disobey family norms, we allow them to experience the natural consequences of their choices, that there are things that happen because you, you do this. In Judges 2.15, the Bible tells us that as they suffered the consequences of their sins, they were in terrible distress. And God just felt pity for them. You see, even in the midst of this anger of, of hating what was going on, he still he didn't like it. He loved them. He cared. And so it says he raised up leaders called judges on whom he placed his spirit to enable them to lead the Israelites in faithfulness and victory. Verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of, their, of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back. And it says they, they didn't just turn back. It says they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. And for those of you who've read through the book of Judges, you know what happens, that through the rest of the book of Judges, it shows this downward spiral of this recurring pattern. People do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord lets them suffer the consequences of that by other countries or other lands or, or people taking advantage of them because of their sins, and they become often enslaved to other people. Eventually, they realize that they can't fix it themselves. And when I say eventually, I don't mean in a few days or a few weeks, but in years or sometimes decades, they realize they can't fix it to themselves, and they finally cry out to the Lord for help. And He then in response, raises up a judge to free them. And, and for a while, the Scripture says they return to him. But over time, it seems the slope is just a little bit too slippery. And Scripture says where, whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers. That's why, to me, the, the vision I have of this is a downward spiral. They, they, they do bad they call out to God. He, he comes and raises the judge, and it helps for a little while, but then they turn away from him, and they do worse, and they go around, and it just seems like they're going down and down and down, creating a, this, this incredibly toxic culture, falling to deeper levels of depravity, and, and really discovering things that they considered normal that a generation or a few, a few decades earlier no one would have ever thought was normal. It was truly a mad, mad world. One of the last judges is Samson. And he, he does ultimately inflict harm on the Israelite enemy of the time, the Philistines. But if you, know, you really know the story of Samson, he was no role model breaking a lot of God's laws, only in death as he sacrificed his own life to take out many of the Philistines and their leaders as he become an admirable person. And he certainly doesn't lead the Israelites toward more faithfulness to God. So while he liberates them, he really does nothing for their spiritual faithfulness. And then as we see that ending in chapter 16 of, Sam, of, of Judges, 
after his death, the book of Judges, beginning in 17, the last five chapters of that book tell of the Israelites now, instead of just coming under oppression from the others, they start turning on one another, killing each other, nearly wiping out the tribe of Benjamin for actions very much like those accused of Sodom and Gomorrah. So that this vicious downward spiral has now turned the Israelites upon one another. And it seems normal. It seems like the way to go forward. In fact, chapter 17, as well as the very final verse of the book, 21 verse 15, offer identical indictments of the Israelites. In 17.6 it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now I want to tell you, that, that, that part of the verse, the second half of that verse, which is quoted, stated twice here in the book of Judges, is to me one of the saddest and one of the most damning verses in the entire Bible. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, the norms were whatever people wanted them to be. And in fact, each person was their own leader, their own king, doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Whatever they wanted, they could justify. It didn't matter what their creator, the Lord God, said. They did what drew them. Now, think about it. We never, those of us who are parents, let our kids live that way. And God wasn't going to let the Israelites go that way for very long. But while they were there, the Ten Commandments weren't even, they weren't even in the Ten Suggestions anymore. They were more like the Ten Invitations to Sin. It's like, whatever we're not supposed to do, that's what we will do. Have you ever noticed that? The, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament did, in, in writing his letter to the Romans, he said God's law was often used by sin to entice people to do the very things that they were told not to. He says that was one of the problems that the law brought into the lives of people, is that when you tell somebody not to do it, some of us, the first thing that runs through my mind, our mind is, I wonder what it would be like to do that. I mean, that's the trouble with the laws. As soon as you come up with a law, somebody's going to figure a way around it and, and take it as a personal challenge to do it. And that's the problem with sin. It's enticing. The Bible makes it clear it's addictive, and it is never enough. We hunt for, for wealth or, or relationships or power or pleasure or, or whatever it is. Other than God, seeking to be our own king, ourselves, but that life ultimately enslaves us to our desires as we seek what is right in our own eyes. The one thing all these cultural lifestyles have in common is that they're never enough. And because they're never enough, it leads people to people who are cynical, who are embittered, who may be depressed or addicted. I mean, it's just toxic. We live in this mad, mad world, uh, mad as in angry and mad as in crazy. 
And we can find ourselves in this same downward spiral that the Israelites found themselves in over the course of the book of Judges as the lack of of consistent norms and and teaching and, and reinforcing God's will and God's law to those around them gave sin more and more control in life. And, and again, the thing about the events in Judges is that they didn't happen all at once. It, it, it was one very small step followed by another. It was, it was not that they took some rule of God and they said, I'm going to completely break that. They say, no, surely he, he didn't mean that in this situation. Or I can, I can do it here and, and nobody will really mind. It won't really hurt. The problem is, as we move further and further that way, we kind of start getting, the old becomes more comfortable. We get used to it. And so it's no big deal to take another step. And after weeks or months or years, it's no big deal taking another step. It's not this instantaneous thing. It's not this like that. It's, it's, it's shallow. It's like when I look back a month ago, I don't see anything different. But if I look back 10 years, or 50 years, or 100 years, I may see it being strikingly different. And yet it's interesting what else Judges says, that everyone did what was right in his own eyes because in those days there was no king in Israel. The implication is that we need a strong leader, a king who will lead us in God's ways and keep us pointed in the right direction, no matter where the culture around us is calling us. That's what Moses did. That's what Joshua did. And Judges ends with this sad commentary that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But but interestingly, it's immediately followed by a short book called Ruth, only four chapters about a widow named Naomi and her widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth. And on the surface, it would seem that the only connection between Ruth and Judges is the fact that we're told that the, the, the story of Ruth occurs during the time of the Judges. Until we get to the end of Ruth. In verse 17, chapter 4, it says, And the women of the neighborhood gave him, that is Ruth's child, she has a child now, a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. David. For many of us, that is a much better known name. Israel's second king, who would be called a man after God's own heart and would ultimately be a model for the Jews' understanding of the Messiah, which the Messiah, the word Messiah means God's anointed or God's king. And a thousand years later, a boy out of the line of David, born beneath a shining star to the sound of animals and angels, was the Son of God, the Messiah. Thirty-three years later, this king, this Messiah, would hang on a cross. In fact, Pilate would write on the inscription above the cross, Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. And yet, on the third day, his resurrection proved he was the Messiah, the king. And and, and not just king of the Jews. 
if you jump to near the end of the Bible, Revelation 17, it says they will make war on the Lamb, that is Jesus, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. He is King of kings. He is the King over every king, no matter what power or, or, or what land that they are a part of. This man is king over them all. And everyone will be subject to him, to Jesus. Hopefully by choice now. But if not, the Bible says someday by force. For there will be no denying the truth of who he is. It says in Philippians, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's in charge to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus as king, who was not recognized the first time he came by most, will be recognized the next time he is the living example of God's norm who shows us how to live day in and day out and who through the power of the, the Spirit, His Spirit enables you and me who choose to follow Him, to put our faith in Him, to avoid sliding down that slippery slope that the Israelites experienced in Judges. As King, Jesus serves as our leader, our Lord. And we seek to follow Him. We seek to obey Him. To, to love God and love our neighbor and seek to make disciples of everyone we meet as he commanded. That there's a norm for how we live our lives. And the Spirit helps us remember all God has done for us and, and the lives he wants us to live versus the life the mad, mad world around us so often encourages. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus lived a life that was starkly different from the culture around him. And he, and he calls his disciples today to do the same thing. He says, do not get caught up in the ways of the world. The language of the Bible that the Bible sometimes uses is holy, meaning at its root it means to be different, different from the world around us because Following Jesus means unconditional, sacrificial love is the norm for how we live. And that is not the norm for the world around us. Jesus calls his disciples to be in the world, but not of it. The Bible calls us to be ambassadors in this world, realizing our home is the kingdom of God, heaven. And, and, and a reminder, I've, shared this throughout this series. An ambassador represents another country in a foreign land, and, and while the, the ambassador interacts with the local culture, he remains always committed to his home and stays true to its ways, its norms, its values, its culture. As Christians, we live by the norms of our homeland, the kingdom of God, instead of the world that we find ourselves in. So our purpose is to represent the, the interests of our homeland, of heaven, in this land. 
2 Corinthians, it reminds us, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Listen, as I look and read Scripture, and I strive to do that every day of my life, it drives me to one inescapable conclusion that Jesus Christ is King. He is Lord. He is the Savior of the world. And if we choose to follow Him, to be His disciples, we are saved for the kingdom of God. That's our new homeland, to live for Christ by His norms. So here is an important question. Many of you have answered this question But maybe some of you haven't, or maybe some of you have forgotten it. Is Christ my Savior and King? Do I trust Him? Do I seek to live like Him and for Him day in and day out? Or do I tend to more to do what seems right in my own eyes, what others are doing, to go along, to get along, which sounds appealing. And and honestly, it's the mantra of our culture, but which Judges, the book of Judges shows us, is ultimately a downward spiral into a toxic, even destructive lifestyle. Now, maybe he was once king in your life, but like the Israelites, you found yourself gradually drawn away from him, and your life isn't what you hoped it would be. It's it's no wonder the Bible often says, remember. Remember, God allows us to experience the consequences of our choices, though he hates what it does to us. And today is your day to commit your life to Christ as Savior, Lord, and King. Or, for some, it's your day to pull away from the culture and recommit to Him. And I'm going to give all of us that opportunity in a few moments when I pray. But when you make that decision to commit or you make that decision to recommit to Jesus as King and Lord, it's not magic. And so you and I have to engage in actions and behaviors of His kingdom to learn what His norms are and live by them to avoid the tragic and toxic downward spiral that we inevitably see in judges, which we, I, I would argue we see in our culture today. That includes regular worship, which reminds us who He is and and why we gather together to honor and glorify Him. So ask God to help you make this a weekly priority in your life now as we're jumping into the fall. It includes serving, which calls us to step outside of ourselves to imitate our King who said He came not to be served, but to serve.
I mean, that's a whole different model of kingship than, than the world knows or expects. Although it's interesting, you look at some of the books on modern leadership and management written by some CEOs and others, and some will tell you that they have discovered that serving the needs of the people around them works better than serving the dollar. We're offering, right after the service, a volunteer, and, and Josh Mauser is going to be standing over there in just a moment and give you an opportunity to see where, where you can serve right here at Gateway. But as always, I want to remind us that serving is more than something we do just at the church or something we do just for missional activities of the church. It's a lifestyle. How do we serve our family? our fellow students? How do we serve our coworkers, our neighbors? That's where the rubber really meets the road. And as we gather together in community, in, in, in groups, in a, a group could be one or two, a couple of people together, or five or six, or eight or ten, or twelve or fifteen, it reminds and encourages us of what matters, of, of what the norms are, of of who we are and whose we are. And as was mentioned earlier, you can still sign up today for a small group or, or you, can even, you can even form your own group. You don't have to use us to do that. You can do it yourself. We, we have long-term life groups open and we have short-term groups that offer you growth and, and or support opportunities. And, and you've got an insert in your bulletin that has information that shows out in our lobby where those tables are and on the back lists those opportunities that are there. And I would just encourage you to look at that, especially if, if you're somebody who comes to church, but this is kind of the, 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 the extent of your activity. I want to tell you, that's missing out on a lot of what God can and wants to do in your life. And He can take you so much further. And that's why we encourage both serving and groups as opportunities to connect and grow, to become more and more like Jesus. So I hope that you'll go out there and look. Um, I'm leading a group on, on exploring Christianity. There are lots of others out there. There are Bible studies. There, there's celebrate recovery that is ways to help us with support, all kinds of things. And we'll have folks out there who would love to talk with you about that and encourage that. Because here's the, here's the thing. Jesus, it's not, it's not about me. Jesus is inviting and calling you to live for Him. Today, every day, all throughout your day. This is not a one-hour-a-week deal. This is a lifestyle. This is a cultural change. And it is a countercultural lifestyle and a norm that helps us become more and more free from sin and more and more tuned in to the abundant life that Jesus came to offer every single person on this planet. It's my prayer that every one of us in here will make some deeper level of commitment. It's not because Randy said so. It's not just because you're here today. It's because 
the God who created us calls you out of doing whatever is right in your own eyes, in my own eyes, to trust Him, to follow Him to life and life abundant. And so as I, I'm here in a moment going to pray, invite you to consider where you need to go with that. And of course, as always, we'll have our prayer team down here, down front. And if you make some decisions today, I, if you need to pray with somebody up here, they will do that. But tell somebody. Why do we tell somebody? Because we need to be accountable. Because if I don't tell anybody, it's easy for me to go, go on. And the devil loves to tell me, well, it was no big deal. You didn't tell anybody. Nobody's going to hold you to that. You and I need somebody to hold us to that. We need that desperately. And if you're a guest, uh, as, as they mentioned, I'll be out here with some other friends, and we'd love to say hello to you out there, so we hope that you will, you will stop by. But let me invite you to, and, and don't forget the volunteer as well, uh, let me invite you to join me in prayer. And if, if you need to make a prayer to commit or recommit, then as I say those parts, just repeat them in your mind to God. Father God, we come before you this morning recognizing that all of us battle sin and only by your grace can we be forgiven and freed from its terrible price that it exacts from each one of us. As we saw in Scripture, it is almost like our tendency to get drawn deeper and deeper into the ways of sin if we're not committing ourselves to a king who is strong, to a king who empowers, to a king who is over us day in and day out. And so, Father, I share these words for those who may want to pray this this morning. Forgive me of my sins. I invite Jesus into my life today to be not only my Savior, to save me from my sins, but my Lord and King, who leads me day in and day out, who helps me as I battle the temptations of this world, as I struggle to, because I want sometimes to do what is right in my own eyes. Help me to put my faith in you, Lord Jesus. And if I have made that decision before, but I seem to have slipped Help me today to recommit to you, to say, Lord, today, no matter what has gone on up to this moment, I recommit my life to Jesus as Savior, Lord, and King. And Father, for those of us who have prayed either of those, help us to share that but more importantly, help us to live in faith, trusting you, that we might be salt and light, that we might be ambassadors for Jesus, that you might use us for the transformation of the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless the Texans, and God bless each of you as you serve your King.
To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.